In Greek mythology, there is this fascinating story about a king named Sisyphus. Sisyphus lived a wicked life and, according to the myth, was condemned by Zeus with a particularly cruel punishment in the afterlife. For all eternity, Sisyphus was condemned to roll a huge boulder up a steep hill. And each and every day, as Sisyphus would sweat and strain and labor to reach the top of that hill, he would lose control and the giant boulder would roll all the way back down to the bottom of the hill. And so Sisyphus had, for his fate, this cruel punishment for all eternity. He was confined to an eternity of wasted efforts and unending frustration. We've all been there, haven't we? Whether you would say you're spinning your tires, stuck in neutral, or maybe taking one step forward, two steps back, all of us at one time or another have poured our efforts and energy into something to no avail. We can say along with the servant in Isaiah 40 verse 4, I have labored in vain and I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Surely you have been there before, but maybe, maybe your life looks a lot like that of Sisyphus right now. Maybe you've recently adopted a new pet, and no matter how hard you try, your puppy is not getting the hang of potty training. Maybe you're in the throes of raising children, and as a parent, you've spent years training your child to clean their room, and yet every time you go into the room, every time, it looks like a war zone. Maybe you're trying to receive a promotion at work, and for years you have done everything you can think of to go above and beyond, but you're still stuck in that role you outgrew years ago. Maybe you've worked hard and exercised great discipline in pursuit of some weight loss goal, but the scale isn't budging. Maybe you've set some financial goals, but try as you may, you are making little to no progress. When you find yourself in that place, what do you do? Yeah, that's a, a good question, Matt. In my family, it's how do we keep our children in bed at night? No matter what we say or how we do nighttime routine, nothing changes. So to answer your question, what do we do? Sometimes I don't know. But I do know some general ways that people tend to think when facing issues just like you described. When you want a different result, but nothing seems to change. The way I see it, there are three options. And I wish there was alliteration here. I wish there was alliteration in the three options, but they're not. there's not. I tried. Option A is this. No matter what result you're getting, no matter how much it doesn't change, keep doing the same thing. Just do the same thing. You've always done, ex expecting a different result. Option B, change everything and change everything as often as possible. Bedtime didn't go well today for the kids. Do something different tomorrow. Didn't work tomorrow? Try something radically different the next day. Just keep changing. Or option C, and I think this is a favorite for a lot of people, just give up. You're not getting the results you want. Just stop trying. Those seem to be the only three options. But here at Grace, we see a fourth option, an option that we strive for as we lead ministries. As we strive to glorify God by making more and better disciples of Jesus, an option that we hope is a healthy approach to what we've been talking about so far here today. In fact, we believe it's so important that it's one of our philosophies of ministry here at Grace Fellowship. And that four option 
Fourth option comes in the form of this statement. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. So methods are many. And methods are specifically those things in life that get us to results. The Oxford Dictionary calls methods a particular form of procedure for accomplishing something. And principles are few. A principle, according to Oxford Dictionary, is a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief. Methods and principles. Here's an example. Blockbuster. Method or principle? Method. The principle is that we want to be entertained by stories, dramas, documentaries, comedies, or for some people like Matt, rom-coms. And there were a ton of people who wanted to save blockbuster stores that were once on every corner from going out of business. But where are they now? In fact, I'm assuming some are listening to this right now and are asking their parents or their grandparents, Blockbuster? What is this guy talking about? Blockbuster was a method that delivered a principle. And in a timeline of history, it was a really short-lived method. And since its demise, we've seen countless other methods to deliver movies that have since gone away. But you know, I did see a red box at Price Chopper the other day, and I didn't realize they were still around. You can take this idea that methods always change into so many areas of life. My family once had a car phone that was the size of a briefcase, and now my watch makes phone calls. Mine too. Yeah. This youth ministry book right here, 10-4 Good Bunny, Buddy, was one of the most relevant things on the market in 1976. Now, it's not. This book called The Church's Program for Young People, written in 1929, was probably the best book on youth ministry in the 1920s. And now, well, it's not. What we're doing right here, co-preaching on a weekend service, not to mention an online-only service, is a method. It's a particular form of procedure for accomplishing something. And in this case, delivering a sermon to a particular church body. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change, but principles never do. So the question becomes, what do we as a church change? Or do we change? Is this idea of methods and principles even biblical? Is there a precedence in scripture for change as the culture changes around us? Or do we continue marching forward doing church as we've always done it, no matter what changes in our world? This is where we want you to grab your Bible or Bible app, because we're going to take a brief look at some of the writings of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament to see if he gives us any insight into this issue of change versus no change. Now, if you don't know Paul, get to know Paul. He was a man who hated Christians. His life goal was to destroy as many Christ followers as possible. But then he met Jesus. And through an amazing interaction with Jesus, he became arguably the greatest evangelist of all time. He knew the reason risen Jesus, and he made his life goal to make sure others knew him as well. Which makes sense. Why he says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul is eager to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the entire world. The good news 
of Jesus is the thing that will rescue humanity from the sin that affects every single one of us. And he's not ashamed of it. He's not ashamed of the gospel and the truth that there is no hope outside of a righteousness that comes from God. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Not only is Paul not ashamed to be preaching the good news of Christ, he knows that this is the most important thing he will preach. And his message, this message, will never change. But Paul also says something that seems to be an argument for change. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23 says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel." So though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. Paul makes himself a servant to everyone, to Jews and to Gentiles. He's changing to be all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. So how can both of these statements be true? It seems as though there should be no change. The truth is always the truth. That's unchanging. But at the same time, there's change. So what's changing? Is Paul contradicting himself? What's going on here? Remember the statement. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. Paul is uncompromising to the truth of the gospel. But he's communicating that truth by all means possible, that people will hear it, understand it, and respond to it. It's not change for change's sake. Paul's not reinventing himself just for fun. He's doing so to advance the gospel to those around him who see things differently than he does. And I love that Paul not only talks the talk, he walks the walk. Here's a few quick examples of Paul taking his own advice. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is interacting with the Athenians in the city of Athens. Paul, in a sinful city, took every opportunity he had in the city to talk to people about Jesus. And at one moment, in Acts 17 verse 28, Paul goes outside of his comfort zone, outside of his own schooling and tradition, and he quotes popular Greek writers familiar to his Greek audience. He goes out of his way to change his method of communicating truth in order to be all things to all people, to help them, the Athenians, know Jesus. A second example of Paul's changing his method is my favorite example of this idea. It was uh, this idea that Paul's an evangelist, right? He started and coached churches all over the first century world. And like anyone with an evangelistic heart or a pastoral heart, 
Paul wanted to visit the people and the churches that he established. In fact, he would take journeys all around planting and supporting churches and communicating the hope of Christ to those he met along the way. But at some point, he was arrested and couldn't travel. Now, Paul could have chosen plan C. Do you remember plan C? Throw up your hands in the air and say, I give up. But the principle, the truth, was too important, so the method had to change. Instead of traveling to areas and churches, he wrote to them from prison. His circumstances and what was going on around him caused him to change his methods. And if he didn't change, if Paul would have said, hey, the only way to do church is to travel and preach, then we wouldn't have most of our New Testament today. So Paul, if you're watching this online, thank you for changing your methods. We really appreciate it. Now, all of this sounds pretty simple enough, right? Methods are many, principles are few, methods always change, but principles never do. But how do we know which is which? How do we know what a principle is and, and what a method is? Because I think we get this wrong all the time. What should be unchanging and what can or should change? Great question, Tim. How can we know which is which? How can we distinguish a principle which is unchangeable from a method which should always be viewed as changeable? When it comes to living the Christian life or the ministry of the church, answering this question is critical. The stakes are high if we get this wrong, because if we mistakenly treat a method like a principle, we'll quickly become ineffectual and obsolete. But if we accidentally treat a principle like a method, we find ourselves guilty of sin or even heresy. When it comes to living the Christian life or how a church should go about ministry, we need to have a clear understanding that spells out that which is unchanging, that which is foundational, and that which is eternal. Isaiah 40 verse 4 says the following, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands, catch this, forever. Psalm 119.89 says the following, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Here we see that God's eternal word, that is the Bible, should serve as the foundation and source of unchanging principles in our lives. If the Bible clearly teaches something, then that settles it. It is a principle, and it is to never be changed. Having said that, I hasten to add this. Just because something is recorded in the pages of Scripture does not necessarily mean God is saying we should live that way or follow that particular example. The Old Testament is filled with examples of men and women acting wickedly, and we should never assume that just because an event is recorded in Scripture that it is to be modeled. You see, some things in the Bible are descriptive. That is, they are merely recording historical fact. Other things, however, are prescriptive. That is, they are instructions for how we should live. I say all that to say our principles in life should come from clear teachings in God's word that are rightly interpreted. In short, our unchanging principles should come from the Bible, which is God's word. If we correctly interpret what God's word is teaching us as new covenant Christians, 
then we will clearly know what our principles are. The problem is, for most Christians, there are two major ways we can mess this up. Consider Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. After Moses is given the law from God, God gives this twofold warning to his people. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Did you catch that? As soon as God gives his law, which sets forth all these unchanging principles, if you will, he warns us to one, not subtract from his word, but also two, not add to his word. Now, I believe for most serious evangelicals, while we may at times subtract from God's word by ignoring or opposing certain things taught in his word, I believe for most of us, we are far more likely to add to his word. No, I don't mean add as in add a new holy book, like a book of Mormon or something like that. But I do believe many of us add to God's word through our conversations and in the ways we judge others. For far too many of us, when the Bible doesn't fill in the blanks like we would prefer, we tend to want to do that on God's behalf. We tend to want to add our own little pet peeves, hobby horses, and convictions to God's word and make our commands binding for everyone else. When we add our own beliefs to God's word, we put words in the mouth of God and basically say, well, if God would have been thinking when he wrote the Bible, he would have included this as well. We as Christians need to be careful not to do this with our methods. We need to resist the urge of elevating our cherished methods to the level of God's holy word. So to briefly recap, our principles are to come from God's eternal word. But what about methods? How can we know which methods we can use? This is actually pretty simple. Any method that is effective and does not violate God's word is a method that should be embraced. You see, methods that are extra biblical are totally fine, just so long as they are not unbiblical. What do I mean by that? By that, I mean, while we need to look at God's word as our only source for principles, it should not be our only playbook when it comes to methods. We don't need to find some precedent in the Bible in order to adopt a methodology for ministry. I mean, think of all the extra biblical methods we're utilizing right now. We're using microphones. Those certainly aren't in scripture. We're using video cameras, the internet. Those weren't in scripture either. We're also using air conditioning, praise the Lord, and electricity, both extra biblical methods. Some other common examples of extra biblical methods would include things like church buildings, a church baptismal, decorative crosses, steeples. Hey, even altar calls weren't a part of the church until about the 1830s. And although these methods were not found in Scripture, they were nevertheless permissible, and it is totally fitting that they are utilized if they are fruitful. But if these methods or any other methods become threadbare, we must remember, while some methods have a longer shelf life than others, ultimately, in the final analysis, methods are many, and methods always change. So how should we respond to this? 
How can this philosophy that methods are many, principles are few, methods always change, principles never do, how does this apply to our lives? First, let's consider how this applies to us as a church at Grace Fellowship, and then let's consider how to apply that to really any area of our lives. For us as a church, we need to be careful to not take a method that God has blessed in the past and insist God always use this same method into the future. God's people have always gotten themselves in trouble when they got too attached to a particular method. Did you know that God is a God who changes his methods? Think about it. You can see this in the life of Moses when the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness and they're repeatedly thirsty. On one occasion, and you could read about this in Exodus chapter 17, when the Israelites were thirsty and there was no water around, God instructed Moses to strike a rock with his staff. Moses obeyed, he struck the rock, and then water flowed out. You might say the principle was that God would provide for his people, and the method was Moses striking the rock. Later on in Numbers 20, a similar picture is painted. The Israelites are thirsty and ask Moses for water again. But this time in Numbers 20, verse 8, God tells Moses to speak to the rock and then water would come out. Well, this time Moses disobeyed and he paid dearly for it. Consider another example from when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. The Israelites, due to their sin, were being severely disciplined by God in Numbers 21. It actually says God sent serpents among them, and many were bitten and even died. In response, the Israelites repented and cried out to God, seeking to escape death from the poisonous bites of these serpents. God commanded Moses to make a bronze serpent, and anyone who was bitten and then looked at the bronze serpent would be healed. This is the only time God does this. In order to provide healing for those who were snake-bitten, he commanded Moses to make a bronze serpent, to lift it up, and then those who were bitten, when they looked upon it, they were healed. Well, fast forward about a 1,000 years later, after the Israelites have already settled into their land and they've had kings, and we see that this bronze serpent reemerges. In 2 Kings 18, verses 1 through 4, we read the following. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars, and cut down the Asherah. And here's what I want to draw your attention to. And this righteous king, when he is purifying God's people of their idolatry, it says he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. Wow. Here we see just how fond we can become of a method that God has once used. While the bronze serpent represented an amazing work of God in the past, God's people had no business elevating a method to such a high level. At Grace Fellowship, the same is true of us. We must be on guard against elevating a method into a sacred cow. Our mission is to make more and better disciples, and we need to hold all methods, 
all methods with a loose grip, regardless of how God may have used them in the past. Oh, our methods have changed a lot at Grace lately. Our worship has been completely online while we have been unable to gather physically. We've rolled out home groups as a new method. We've made kids' worship resources available for download and print. And speaking of kids' ministry, we have a change we are so excited to share with you. After a long time of prayer, discussion, and conversation, we have decided to rename and rebrand our kids' ministry at each of our locations. We have a new name and a new logo we are pumped to share with you. Our new name is Kid Venture, which reflects the joyful, loving, and trustworthy community where kids can learn their part in God's big story, which is an adventure of discovery where kids will grow in understanding and commitment to Jesus. Hey, stay tuned for more information in the near future on that. But those are just some of the ways we as a church are living out this idea. Methods are many, principles are few, methods always change, principles never do. But what about you as an individual? How can you apply this to your everyday life? First, I would encourage you to use scripture to help determine your goals and principles in as many areas of life as possible. Nature abhors a vacuum, and if you do not take your principles from scripture, they will likely be auto-filled from our culture. Take parenting, for example. Most parents in our culture seem to have as their default principles or goals something like this. I want my kids to be happy and successful. And so all their parenting decisions and methods are chosen as a means toward that end. Now, don't get me wrong here. I am all for raising happy, successful children. But according to Scripture, Christians are called to disciple our children and teach them in such a way that they grow in wisdom and are ready to be launched into the real world. Those are to be our primary principles for raising children. And for the Christian, our principles should come from God's word whenever possible. But what about the times when God's word doesn't speak directly to an area of life? What do we do then? In these cases, I believe the best thing we can do is thoughtfully and prayerfully identify our principles. You see, landing on some principles is like determining what city you want to drive to. Once you determine you want to drive to Boston, all of the methods or directions become rather simple. When we know where we want to go, what our goals are, all of a sudden, decision-making is demystified and becomes much, much easier. It's the same way when it comes to certain goals and principles and areas of our life where the Bible doesn't give clear principles. Through research and consultation with other wise people, we should decide what our principles are. Ask yourself, when it comes to my career, my relationships, my health, my legacy, what are those unchanging, non-negotiable, fundamental principles? Once you identify them, I would encourage you to write them down, as this can help serve as a reminder of what your principles are. Because when we are crystal clear on our principles, then we are in a position to select the best possible methods. That's right. <clears throat> methods are many. 
principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do. What would it look like if we as the church got this right? What would it look like for a follower of Christ to keep the gospel at first importance, the principle that never changes? And what would it look like to be a follower of Jesus who is willing to be used by God in whatever way God leads? I believe that the result would be a powerful church, a church that learns to embrace change for the sake of the gospel. Because there are people in our country, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and even in our families who are so desperately in need of Jesus. And God will use those who keep the gospel as first importance and who see methods as what they are, avenues to communicate truth so that we may see our coworkers, neighbors, and families find hope in Christ. Because our methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. Please pray with me. God, we thank you so much for the wisdom contained in your word. God, we ask right now that you would give each and every one of us a hunger to search your word for what those unchanging, foundational, fundamental principles are. God, and that you would give us an unwavering commitment to those principles, no matter the cost. At the same time, Father, we ask that you would please help us know what our principles are so that we know what methods we may choose from. God, I pray that we would hold all methods with a loose grip and that you would give us a spirit of flexibility and an open-mindedness for the sake of the gospel so that we can make more and better disciples. We pray all this in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen.